everyone, and welcome back to She's All That Minute. The podcast where we analyze the 1999 examination of beauty and popularity in high school, She's All That, one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Aaron. I'm your co-host, James. And at minute 22, we have the cat inside <sighs> the uh, pillowcase on stage yelling, Snug! In uh-huh. the putrid womb of a mother he never knew. And it goes through the music uh, beginning to fade out on the performance. I think Snug in the Putrid Womb of a Mother He Never Knew is one of the best pastiches of this uh, genre of theater performance art mm-hmm. that I perhaps have maybe ever heard. Like, yes. It's provocative and violent and gross, kind of. Yes. And, and like... But also sexual, like it's everything yes. that a theater performance like this is going to be. And I love it very, yes. very much. Now, I did have to look at the transcript because I definitely thought that he yelled snog. Mm. That would be a different, whole different meaning. A whole different meaning. And actually, at the time that I thought he yelled that, I had forgotten that that is actually a word, like a British term for making out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought that he was randomly yelling gibberish uh which yeah also i mean sure that's another way (laughs) of playing it yeah absolutely but then Um, i looked at the transcript so that i could write down what the line was and i was like oh snug that makes much well no that (laughs) does make much more sense like from a you know word like sentence making (laughs) right yeah syntactically it makes sense yes syntactic Um, that is the word that i was looking for I have, I wrote down, my first note is snug in the putrid womb of a mother he never knew, the fetus writhing, floating, bursting forth, rushing forward, surging, emerging. Mm-hmm. So that's Just... uh, the first half of this um, poem. I guess we're going to call it a poem. Yeah, just... <laughs> I don't want... The word evocative... Sounds like a compliment, so I don't want to say this is very evocative... gratuitously provocative no i think gross is the word i'm looking for i think just gross (laughs) for sure i i'm gonna say it's not in this minute next minute i'm like there's value to this piece okay that that there is some value to this piece and like listen art is subjective it's not for everyone blah 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 I think you and I are in agreement of our subjective opinion of this art, which is blah. Well, um, I did say it sucked balls. Right. So. And, right. and that is, hey, that is your right as an American. That's so true. To, to decide what does and does not suck balls. I think right. that's in the Constitution. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was all about balls. Ball sucking freedom. Well, you know. Wow. I mean, I don't know that he wasn't. So that's true. We don't. <laughs> I don't either. Somebody get Lin Manuel Miranda on the phone. <laughs> um, so then, some guy comes over to Zach and says, "That's Mitch. Brilliant, isn't he?" Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, um, my experience with this feeling of art, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, okay, I see that you're trying to get a rise out of me and people. Mm-hmm. The performer, it's a creative expression that they've put together. They've put heart and soul and whatever into it. So we give them a a, a two 
at the very least, because they did something. One out of five, they get a two, putting in an effort. Good job. Okay. The zealous fan, the zealous fan of said art performer, is is perhaps my least favorite participant in the whole coffee house performance art theater thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down Mitch is a lot of things. Brilliant isn't one of the ways I would describe him, but he's a lot of things. He seems like a lot, that is for sure. He, there is a, I believe in minute 24, um, I, I start to develop some other opinions of him. Um, mm. Well, I'll say additional opinions. Like, I, sure. something happens in minute 24 that just kind of, Makes me double down on my brilliant is not <laughs> Mitch is a lot of things and brilliant's not how I would describe them. Um, sure. I'll get to that sure. in minute twenty four. But and that's what you call a teaser. Uh huh. Um. Yeah. I. So this guy, I was hoping. Um. I would find. Uh. The only thing in the cast that might be him is uh beatnik. Okay. Um. Yeah, sure. Which would make him this uh, this actor name with the name that sounds like it's from Arrested Development, which is Bob Baglia um, or Robert Baglia. Uh, he, if it is him, I don't want to have another news, you know, misidentified newsy on on our hands. But right. he was in seven. He's an actor in seven things, um, uncredited in two of them. He was on an episode of Mad TV. And he was in the TV movie NYPD Mounted as an officer. So, like, he started his career in 1990. This is his last credit in 1999. I don't know. Okay. He, it, it seems like it seems like maybe he was part of, like, an L.A. scene sort of deal. Yeah. Sort of maybe a day player of, of sorts and, and what have you. But yeah. I could find no pictures of him. I could find nothing about this this gentleman. So... We're going to put a question mark beatnik on this right. guy. So the actor, whether it is Robert Baglia or someone else, has sort of a Josh Gaddy look to mm. him. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, I mean, it's definitely not Josh Gad. Like, sure. He doesn't sound anything like him, but like, right. like picture Josh Gad and put him in like yeah. beatnik clothes. Yeah, and you're pretty close to what this dude looks like. I I agree with that. I come I come at it um uh. A, ni- a, a 90s era, so um, more husky Horatio Sands from SNL. Okay. If you told me that was who played him, I would be like, I believe you. Yeah. I don't remember what he looked like enough, but that seems correct to me. Yeah. Josh Gad is another fantastic poll. So picture Horatio Gad, um, and that's this guy. So, yeah. yeah, that is this character's name, Horatio Gad. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any notes before we're, what we're going to call the bursting forth? I do not. Okay. I, well, first of all, just real quick, Mitch is a fantastic name for this character because it's really very blue collar workery. Mm-hmm. So it kind of gives you some indication of like, maybe if you make some jumps, like what the parent situation is like. We named our kid Mitch and then here we go. This happened. I mean, I mean like ideally... And we love him for it, and that's fantastic. He kicks ass at performance art. My son's the best. Go, Mitch, go. Right. Um, so that's what we'll say is is the case. Um, and not the other likelier end of the 90s thing 
Right. So, um, I would like to talk about the actress that played Mitch. Okay. Um, it is Alexis Arquette. Okay. She was an actress that became, that, um, at the time presented as a man, but was eventually was able to transition to her, the woman that she always felt that she was. Um, she, I don't think ever played a character that I can think of, though her uh, filmography appears to support the fact that shortly after this, she began taking on on uh, female roles, which is cool. Okay. Um, is she, now is Alexis Arquette like of yes. the Arquettes? Correct. Okay. okay. Correct. Uh, David Arquette, Patricia Arquette, and the one I always forget, which is Rosanna Arquette. Right. Um. That is that is her family, um, and and so now here is her top three. Um, she was fourth man in Pulp Fiction. I okay. don't know what that refers to. Yeah, well, um, probably the, it, I mean, the fourth. If you yeah, yeah. If, you, if you were in Pulp Fiction and you weren't in with Thurman, you were probably a guy. So like, um, she then was the fourth of, one. <laughs> she was the fourth one. Uh, Bride of Chucky. Uh, she played Damien. Okay. I don't. Um, I seem to recall, I think Damien may have been Jennifer Tilly's love interest before she died and became the doll that was the Bride of Chucky. That sounds... What a weird movie franchise that was. That sounds about right, though. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I actually saw that movie. I, it was, listen, for what it says on the tin, not the worst. Yeah, it had no right to be as enjoyable <laughs> as it was. I won't necessarily say it was good, but it for was sure. enjoyable. It was not... It wasn't bad. Yeah, no. And it should have been. It should have been. been. Should have been terrible. <laughs> but um then I know her uh so this is their third is her third uh credit on MDB. I know her from Wedding Singer, uh, where she played George, who was oh, the Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is something interesting because it was a George um a boy George uh joke. Because right. she's saying uh, culture club and do you really want to hurt me and all yeah. that. But there is a um, a couple of is that a guy sort of situations in that movie. Right. Which, you know, for better or worse. I think, I think by the end of it, everyone that is supposed to be on board with George preferring to wear dresses and be beautiful and, and wear lipstick and all the stuff that that he wants to mm-hmm. is is on board with it they let him try on wedding dresses and stuff it's it's cool yeah i think there are some laughs played for you know that at the beginning i feel that that are are fairly resolved by the end yeah anyways um, another so like, when was that movie 98 98 yeah, yeah so. so another kind of product of its time yeah that, I will say which doesn't excuse yeah. it but it explains right. it some. It, and also, I mean, you know how much I love to get benefits of the doubt. Right. You know, I hand them out like candy. It's true, he does. If it was made by someone else, I would say it could also be a commentary on 1980s mm-hmm. trans and homophobia. Yep. I feel a little like I'm maybe getting ripped off if I give that benefit of the doubt to an Adam Sandler movie. As good as, as much as I love it, I don't know that that is necessarily the level to which they were operating. Like right. in the 80s, this, there were some real bigots. Right. But I feel like Adam Sandler's whole stance is, 
be, be cool. Just yeah. Just chill out. Right. And and actually, that's not a that's not the worst stance it's I've ever heard. My good stance. <laughs> um, the, and then I did some other looks. Uh, she was on two episodes of Friends. She was in Of Mice and Men. And her first appearance and trivia uh, are the same appearance. Uh, she was in the Tubes video, the band The Tubes, uh, for the song She's a Beauty, uh, which is not a song I'm very familiar with, but I think it may have been on Guitar Hero. Okay. I'm not positive about that. Um, and the trivia is she was cast as the young boy in The Tubes She's a Beauty video because she happened to be on the set that day. Oh. So, like, literally walked into the role. That's really cool. Yeah. And then what I hope I, is the I downer assume the... that uh, video was when she was young, young, yeah, young yeah, enough was... to qualify as young. For sure. Person. It was, yeah, it's like uh, 86, 87. Oh, okay. So like, okay. yeah. I'm not familiar um, with the song or the band, so. Same-ish? Same-ish? I, 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 when you say, if you say the tubes, put them in a decade, I say the 80s, but that's only sort of by process of elimination. It's a kind um, of an 80s sounding band name. Yeah. If you said 79, I'd be like, yeah, you can give it to me. It's fine. Yeah. Um, a little bit. I hope downer of the week. Um, Alexa Arquette did did pass away uh, September 11th, 2006 oh. uh, due to complications uh, associated with HIV. So, oh, no. Yeah. But I think she is fantastic in this. I think she is fantastic in Wedding Singer. Yeah. Um, I didn't. As soon as you said that she played George, I'm like, that's why. So yeah. that's why she looks familiar to me in this. Yes. Yes. But yep. because of George's whole like makeup, hair, everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I swear I kind of recognize this person. Yeah. But I don't know why. And I thought that it's because, and this is, gonna, well, I thought it's because of a thing that I am going to say in minute 24 mm-hmm. with regard to this character. Sure. So that's what we call another teaser. Yes, that is a double teaser that is ramping up expectations for what this thing is. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think it's really cool. It's really cool. Like picturing Patricia Arquette. Basically in the show medium, because that's where I mostly know her from. And then taking off blonde hair and putting on either Boy George hat or what if Freddie Mercury dyed his hair uh, blonde. Um, It's the same face. It's really funny to see family resemblances where you like, once you're like, this is this person, you're like, yeah, yes, that is correct. And then then I think of David Arquette and I'm like... So I guess that's what the other parent looks like or something. I'm not really sure. Like, kind of like a fox. Like a fox with little tiny eyes. Like, I pay, like Patricia Arquette and, and Alexis Arquette have these, like, kind of big, gorgeous eyes and whatever. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to say David Arquette has big eyes. Right. I mean, gorgeous or not. Like, anyways. Yeah. It's funny to see these family resemblances um, play out, for sure. Yeah. Um. So then, so... They Mitch explodes out of out of the bag, the uh, undulating uh, silver ish bag, accompanied by two little people in leotards. Yes, are leot are they still leotards if they have a hood section? That I'm not sure. I see. Okay, I would call this. They've got sleeves, right? I think they are full. It's more like how a how much unitard. of your body. It okay. That was what I was wondering. Is it a unitard or a leotard? 
I think I think a leotard does not have legs to it. It's just a shirt, but a unitard. But a is unitard one piece. is basically a full body bodysuit. But this one, these right. do have hoods. Right. Then what happens is uh, one of them moves forward and reaches out. I assume towards Zach, and makes like a like a choking, gagging, clutches their noise. throat too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like kind of goes blah. Yeah, it's a sound for sure. It's it's for sure a sound that that is made for sure. And I think for the sake of our listeners' ears, we should not attempt to replicate it, even though I kind yes. of do want to. Yeah, it does right. Yeah. Well, at the live show, we'll just do this performance mm-hmm. and then and then we can we can do it all we want. Yeah. Um I wrote Zach is uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had written down confused in the last minute, yeah. but I think uncomfortable is a much better way to describe it, especially at this point. Right. And now Mitch is in tidy whities and that's it. Mm-hmm. So regardless of, of and where that's, you stand that's on because, any number of things. Yeah, that's because this movie needed to be rated PG-13. Oh, for sure he would have been absolutely naked had... It been anything had this else. not or been, a true performance piece? Yeah, for a true performance piece, he would have had no clothing. Yeah, and honestly, I, probably did, would have shaved all of his body hair, right, to appear correct. truly um, infantile. Did Did I ever tell you about? Did Lisa or I ever tell you about when we went to see Clockwork Orange and the dude was entirely naked? No, it was a black box theater, and I think he performed the at least much of it one hundo in the nude. And it was me and Lisa and Mr. Gross. Oh, oh. In a black box theater. Yeah, it was cool. Fun. Where? I mean, I will... Uh, DC. Oh, okay. I will say that in... Uh, I think of any parent that I have or any of my friends have, probably Mr. Gross was maybe the best option. Sure, but it's still... Uh, like, even still. if you've got the like the coolest, most chill parental <laughs> yeah. unit there, it's still awkward to be a teenager yeah with one of your friends particularly of the opposite sex and their parent right like there's like everything about that is discomfort making it for sure was um i seem to recall we all enjoyed it like the performance was great and well executed and stuff it was just a like first scene no clothes. I guess here we go. It's a black box. So like. So you're like 15 feet away from this person at most. Yeah. It was it was definitely a theater experience that was had by many mm-hmm. of the people in that audience. Yep. Um, okay. So then uh, I think that there is a, a, a man and a woman little person because the one of them comes up and says, my soul is an island. My car is a Ford. Right. And the other one, um, who presents to me as, as a male, um, says, I want to be like Mike. Yes. And I wanted to, uh, the one, the one of two bits of research I did this week is about the, the slogan, I want to be like Mike. Yes, Would please you like tell to... me about that. Yeah. I was worried a little bit because I searched and I was like, is like Mike that, that, uh, I think it was Lil Bow Wow movie. Where I think he gets 
good basketball skills somehow, magic something, something. I never saw it. Okay. I was like, am I thinking of the movie Like Mike and there was no thing called I Want to Be Like Mike? But fortunately there was. Okay. So, Tell me about um, it. Yes. This is a commercial from 1991 or so. It has, I think it's early 90s uh, because it begins with footage from the uh, 1990 game two of the 1991 NBA Finals against the LA Lakers, where he performs a difficult layup by moving the basketball from his right hand to his left while in midair. Following another NBA highlight featuring one of Jordan's slam dunks, the commercial cuts to a black child attempting a dunk with his tongue out like Jordan. Subsequent cuts feature children of various ages and ethnicities trying to imitate his moves from NBA footage shown earlier. We also see video clips of Jordan having fun while playing basketball with the children outside. That paragraph is one of the most adorable descriptions of a commercial that I think I've ever read yeah. in my life. It sounds absolutely heartwarming. Yep. To contrast, the ad also contains various clips of Jordan playing basketball in an indoor gymnasium with men. 90s. Mm-hmm. He is also shown smiling and laughing while drinking Gatorade with them. That's a, that, Is that foreshadowing? It is. Um... While Jordan is shown playing basketball seriously, the commercial also contains a shot of him laughing as he loses control of the basketball. <gasps> I just remembered that shot. I think I can remember this. I think I can remember him losing. He's like on the floor, like scrabbling, and the ball like bounces away, and he's just, he's kind of giggling. And it's like the ball bounces like past the camera. I don't know that for sure, but I'm suddenly having a sense memory. That's cool. I don't, I do um, not have that same sense memory, but. Yeah. I could be totally... Michael Jordan also went quickly over to Haynes from Gatorade. So okay. um, I probably am thinking of a Haynes commercial. Anyways. To, uh, so throughout the commercial, an upbeat pop song described as, quote, world music. Again, it was the 90s. Plays with both adults. World music means not American. Jeez. <laughs> oh, not, not, not American or British. It's world music. It's Right. They, they wanted to call it everything else music. But for some reason, people had a problem with that. Um with both uh, both adults and children singing lyrics about them, wishing that they could play basketball like Jordan. And here are the lyrics. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see, that's how I dream to be. I dream, I move, I dream, I groove. It's the 90s. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. Near the end of the advertisement, footage is shown of The Shot, a famous basketball play in which Jordan makes a buzzer beater shot over Craig Alo to defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers. The commercial ends with a shot of Jordan smiling with a cup of Gatorade as he turns away from the camera. It then transitions to a black background with the slogan, Be Like Mike, Drink Gatorade, written in all caps white text. Okay. So uh, I pasted a bunch of stuff here, but basically this commercial, it was like the thriller. It was like the Beatles of its day. Like people fucking loved this commercial a lot. And like the song got in people's heads. They loved the footage of the stuff. It made him more popular. It made people drink Gatorade. All this stuff. Okay. It had tremendous social cachet in a way that I think commercials do now for sure. But in the 90s, I think you could count on one hand. Like there was the there's a Nike commercial, also Olympics related, also like um, sports related, where like someone throws a hammer into like Big Brother computer screen or whatever. And it's like, Nike, do defeat the communists basically was the was the idea okay um that's a famous one and then i can think of like two more this was one of like the like the gigantic uh ads at the time uh i did find something interesting that like all of this aside signing him to be uh 
signing up to having him be a, a Gatorade spokesman. It says Quaker because it was, I guess, Gatorade is owned by Quaker Oats, which is something that doesn't make. Colin and I were talking about who Disney owns, and the answer is basically everyone. Mm-hmm. But like, I was like, this is so. St-. He's like, Disney owns owns Fox and ABC and Marvel and Star Wars, and like, it's just like, this is scary. Anyways, um, by signing him to a sponsorship deal, they prevented him from re-signing with Coca Cola and promoting Powerade. So, oh, okay. Not only was it a hugely popular Michael Jordan situation, but it was also Quaker Oats was like, got him. Yeah. Can't, can't, can't hawk that Powerade now, can you, Mike? And he's like, I'm going to go play basketball. And they're like, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. Um, have fun. I hear that's exactly <laughs> how the conversation went. Be, be safe. Make good choices. Go Bulls go. Try to be nice um, to people. Yeah. <laughs> Try to be nice to people. That's that famous saying from the future. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that is what I so in the context of 1999, that is a reference to an early 90s commercial which is the exact kind of thing you would reference in a performance art piece and it doesn't matter really um what the performance art piece is about. Reference a commercial and people would be like, "Oh, nice." Yeah. Did you ever see any of the SNL like theater one act performance sketches i don't think they're supposed so. to be like provocative they listener and aaron if any of you are interested um i can put up a link on on twitter or whatever when this episode goes up they are just like this you see these these kids that are one taking it too seriously mm-hmm. two you want them to be taking it this seriously. Three, it's ridiculous. Okay. What they are saying and what they're thinking is like, ooh, edgy. And they they, pull, they pulled off this sketch successfully, I think, four or five times. And it's the exact same, but it, it, it works every single time. For me, at least. Okay. Um, and it's it's sort of like this, but in a, in a sketch comic sort of way. Okay. So the only other thing that I have, other than the description of the rest of the first part of the performance, is... In reference to the line, falling, plunging, nay, expunging. Uh, I didn't know what expunging super duper meant. Okay. So I looked it up and I found a definition, sure, but that's not where it ends, Aaron. Oh, dear. I also found a kind of cool etymological origin for this. Okay. Um, So it means to strike out, obliterate, or mark for deletion, destroy, or eliminate from one's consciousness. Okay. Get rid of completely, for sure. I only know it in the context of, like, something being expunged from, like, a a police record or something. Right, exactly, exactly. So you can expunge police records or memories if you have, you know, like, a memory device. I've been watching a lot of Marvel. I (laughs) apologize. (laughs) You have a memory device. You know that relatable memory device Yeah, the the little... uh, the, The... isn't it like a, fla- they call it like a flashy thing or a blinky thing in Men in Black? Oh yeah, in Men in Black, for yeah. sure. Did you flashy thing me, Kay? You gotta tell me if you flashy thing be me. Yeah. Um, what a great movie. Anyways, um, it says, In medieval and renaissance manuscripts, a series of dots was used to mark mistakes or to label material that should be deleted from a text. And those deletion dots can help you remember the history of expunge, it said condescendingly. The, the, they were known as puncta delentia. The puncta part of the name derives from the Latin verb pungere, which can be translated to prick or sting. And you can imagine that a scribe may have felt stung when his mistakes were so punctuated in a manuscript. I think that is a 
parenthetical stretch there, Miriam Webster. I um yeah. It's because you 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 poke the thing when you make the dot. Oh, come on. Um, Punjeri is also an ancestor of expunge as well as uh, parent of other dotted, pointed, or stinging terms such as punctuate, compunction, poignant, puncture, and pungent. Right. Okay. So, um, I guess it's more of a history of one part of the word, but to sort of strike slash out, kind of poke and get rid of, poke a hole in and get rid of, is sort of the origin of that. And those that and now now reader, we are officially. Um, I've done no more research. It's just going to be performance art talk from here on. No, 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 come back. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We'll have fun. At least let us do social media before you leave. Well, I have... Let's just finish up what happens in the performance. There's now a trash can on stage and they start a fire in it. Mm-hmm. They laugh maniacally and then fall down dead. Mm-hmm. And as they fall down dead, let us have this minute fall down dead. I, I think that's I think that's what I wanted to say. Sure. I'm going to do social media. Uh, we are on Twitter as a podcast franchise at JE underscore Minute Movies. And individually, we can be found on Twitter. I can be found at Unabashed James. And I'm at Unabashedly Aaron. We are part of the Scavengers Network, which is home to many great shows, one of which is Unnatural 20s, um, which is a great show, the concept of which is one of them leads the conversation by having a list of 20 sort of paths to take um and they roll a d20 and whatever comes up they take that path whether it's like what was one you know what was a win that you had today uh did you meet any new people they have better D names for them but like what you know what would life be like in an alternate universe what is, do you have any um fiction uh advice for fictional characters stuff like that. okay um advice for fictional which, characters is very good it's and it, I I have yet to see that one miss at all. Like it it hits. They they do some good advice for fictional characters on that show. Is it a, is it specific fictional characters or just general advice to fictional characters? It's speci- it's specific characters okay. and every. It's not like this week we're doing specific characters of this. It's like who has advice for a fictional character? Oh, okay. This week I have advice for um you know Pippi Longstocking. Uh, get a new hairstyle. Okay. You know, like whatever. Um, and it's very fun. So it's it's a very sort of freewheeling, who knows where this is going to go conversation, but also heavily structured and planned. Right. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. So Unnatural 20s is on the network. Go listen and enjoy. Yes. But speaking of enjoyment, we're going to have more enjoyment of performance art tomorrow. Um, so what I want you to do is from now until you listen to then just try try to be nice to some people you know The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.